awesome. I wish we'd been doing that mid-episode. <laughs> that was perfect. Nice. What's the password? <laughs> Welcome to the Game Master Speakeasy. Brought to you by the record button. Hello and welcome. My name is Cody. And I'm Lance. And you have somehow found yourself at the Game Master Speakeasy. Come who on in. Who told you? Yeah, yeah. Who do, yeah, who, who, who do you serve? <laughs> uh, what do you... We uh, haven't talked about that moment. <laughs> uh, come on in and take a seat. Get saddled up and get a beverage. If you are of drinking age, you can have an alcoholic one. Go to today's bartender, Simone. We'll set you up. Today we're drinking uh, uh, something kind of nostalgic because yeah. this is the, the second batch of something that you have brewed in-house. That's true. That's very true. Here at the Game Master Speakeasy, Lance and I will babble on and on and on about tabletop things because that is our favorite hobby aside from video games. And I mean, I assume that if you're here, it's because you want to hear somebody babble on and on and on about tabletop games, right? Yeah. I, unless <laughs> If you found yourself here by accident, you're still welcome. Come on, have a seat. Sit down. No, please don't leave. <laughs> Come back. Um, this is episode 20. 20, actually, of Game Master Speakeasy, so thank you for bearing with us this whole way if you are a repeat offender, as Lance has deigned to call certain things. Maybe that's what we should call our fan base, repeat, repeat, offenders. repeat offenders. That doesn't sound good, actually. Uh, yeah. No. <laughs> some, In Bibers. There's some definite negative connotations yeah, no. to, to that. I mean that that's that's what a speakeasy is though. It's an it was illegal. That's true. Was, they were illegal things. All right. So today we've got a couple pieces of news, and we're going to talk about RPG experience. And today's main topic is about um, the balancing act that is that a game master has to do while running a game. Okay. But first up with news, which is uh, not always new news, but it's news to me or news to Lance. So most things are news to me. <laughs> the robot handbook for Traveler has come out by Mongoose Second Edition, which uh, will have rules, of course. I will, I assume will have rules for running robot player characters, okay. but also for creating robots as you know NPCs or maybe you just have one around the ship. Droids, I imagine. Like if you wanted <laughs> if you wanted an astromech or something, I'm sure that there are rules in there to flesh that out. These are not the droids you're looking for. I, for one, uh, in the two in the one session of Traveler we've played, I'm still in love with it. Uh, I'm Because I haven't had more sessions of it, I'm in a suspended honeymoon phase, maybe. How, I don't know. What was your first experience playing a session? Because it, it was just you two. You yeah. Dan, I, a two-man. And it's also the smallest game I've ever run. It was for two mm -hmm, people. Two people. Uh, that I, well, that I should say that I intend to run for more than a single mm -hmm. session. Um, I, yeah, I enjoyed it. Character creation was a lot of fun. Um, we didn't get super duper far into the actual, uh, game when we were doing the session, but I mean, we, we had a lot of, a lot of neat role-playing experiences, the NPC getting our own ship and, and stuff like that. It's very, very, uh, the tone that I'm trying to set up is very Firefly, of course. Yeah. Very, very Cowboy Bebop, not small group, mm -hmm. you know rough and tumble couple guys who are going to try and make their own way in a big wide galaxy which is a very classic sci-fi trope that I am very much in love with uh, but if you wanted to have 
a lot more rules for robots. That handbook is out. I was perusing. I knew it was coming out. I forgot about it, and then I went on Drive Through RPG earlier today, and it was like one of the top sellers. I mean, I, I already like the idea, or at least the option of it, because I feel like if you're playing a small group like ours, being able to have a robot on the ship to handle a lot of the things that yeah. you would normally need maybe or want additional players for or if you wanted a uh, secret replicant on the ship that no one knew <laughs> and it was one of the players <laughs> as, as we've talked about before uh, having... no <laughs> no <laughs> you think about alien yeah and, no and it's, the... it's exactly where my head went i'm like i don't think that that's that's not a great idea. no that sounds like a great time uh, but then that's uh, that's new. That's new to me. Uh, I don't. It's not a specific piece of news, but I just wanted to kind of comment on the fact that solo RPGs seem to be still more on the rise. Is this something that you have noticed? I I, I mean, in, in in so much as I pay attention, I've heard of more of them as of late. Yeah, there's been more of them, and it's kind of interesting because usually I think of tabletop RPGs, and it's supposed to be a collaborative storytelling experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like, that's always what it has been, but it just kind of goes to show that we really do need our alone time sometimes, and that doesn't mean you have to shirk your favorite hobby if your favorite hobby is tabletop uh, RPGs. Uh, Iron Sworn is a good one that comes to mind. There's a... Uh, uh, there's one called Thousand Year Old Vampire, which it, <laughs> like it's a kind of like a small journal box set where you get like an actual journal or something like that. Okay. Because you are playing the Thousand Year Old Vampire. Um, but I just kind of wanted to comment on the fact that uh, so I've never tried one yet. Oh, there was we talked about the Strider attachment for the one right second edition. Just about to mention yeah. that a couple uh, episodes ago. They just seem to be on the rise. And uh, what do you think of that? I mean, obviously more options is good, but would you ever? consider playing one um maybe i mean I, I i think i always i always take two tabletops as if it's kind of my poker night yeah so having a lot you know having friends around is is kind of ideal for it. but if you were a sim it fills your social status need yeah more, but right? i do kind of i can i kind of see the demand for it i mean i know people talk about main character syndrome as being a bad thing inherently but that is exactly what that kind of thing is for right like if you have an idea for a character that is like very self-contained, you know, the the, 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 that traditional lone wolf character that everybody hates when you play that as a part of a team. Yeah. That is a really good, that's a good, that's a, that's a good square peg for that square hole. You know what I mean? Like that's, and this goes in the square hole. Cause, cause as a, as a player, if that's the player or if that's the character you want to cook up and you've got a really cool idea for it. And being able to run, you know, a solo campaign where you can do that is certainly an option. Yeah, this is one of those things where I've kind of always had it on the back burner. Mm -hmm. I know they're there. I kind of think to myself, oh, maybe sometime I'll go try it out. But mm -hmm. I just haven't yet. Uh, if someone got me one, I think I would play and review it. But I'm not going out of my way to try them. You know what well, I mean? Well, like I said, I mean, I, I think that, that for the most part, game night is, for me, it always has been a social where we where we get together in person yeah and i mean that's the same reason that i'm not as big a fan of like online gaming if you can if you can get a group together in person do with that yeah do, do it <laughs> do, i mean if you don't have that option we, yeah, obviously if you're unable to meet in person that's why roll 20 and foundry exists yeah but. exactly but if you can 
do. I have long enjoyed the in-person sessions we've had, and I, I would be remiss to move on to I, a, I agree. an online game. Which yep. I've, I've got friends in other places, and I've been procrastinating running it, because honestly, it's just like, oh, now I have to learn how to do this tool set. <laughs> you know, how does Foundry work? How does Roll20 work? You know, it's a lot easier to run a game in person. I like dice, opinion. minis, and battle maps. Although, in front of me. having a cool effect on a battle map, like yeah. moving water on mm -hmm. it. Oh, yeah, there's... There's definitely there's definitely a purpose for it. Yeah, I had thought about once upon a time building a gaming table with an actual television screen I mounted saw, on the bottom of it. I saw one of those recently where they had a 3D model mm. of a ship, but then the screen was, was moving water. Yeah, and it was so cool. It was awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I, for me to do it the way I'd wanted to, it would cost a lot of money though, because I'd want like a 60-inch TV oh, on the bottom, yeah. like something as big as our battle map is. Right. I think you could get away with something. I honestly, if you, I think you could get away with like forty or fifty inch. Probably, but I mean, you'd still have to go out and buy a fifty inch TV, right? Or, or use one of my old, get a new TV and then use my old one or something upstairs. Speaking of uh, minis on the grid, if you've ever painted a mini, then you know maybe what a wash is. Yeah, I know what a wash is. You know what I, a wash I, is. I, I painted a few minis. In you've my day. painted a few minis in your time. Are you familiar with Games Workshop? These are loaded questions, Lance. <laughs> You know who Games Workshop yeah, is. You know, I feel like we've talked about them before. They heralded the change in paint formula with contrast paints. Do you know what contrast paints are? No. Okay, so contrast paints, speed paints, quick paints. After GW did it, every other company started doing it too. It's a paint that you paint over a light uh, primed mini. So maybe you take like a warm white, like a GW Wraithbone or a Titan buff from Golden Acrylics, which is a, a warm off white. And then a contrast is kind of a thick wash. So it's intended to tint every surface, but also pool in the crevices and okay. recesses. So it's supposed to be an all-in-one highlight uh, tone and shade all at once in one step. Do they work? Uh, well, that's what I did for the wood on the Mimic that I painted recently. Oh, okay. Is the wood is contrast paint. So I, gotcha. I, I had it um, zenithal highlighted, so I primed it black and then did some blasts of white from above to show where the highlights would be. And I contrast paint over that, and the top part of the barrel is light and the bottom part is darker, and I, I did one step. So contrast paints do work. Nice. They are not considered... Uh, they're just another part of the toolkit, yeah. right? They have their uses. Doing normal layering and things like that is better for certain things. But the washes that Games Workshop makes are nice because they come uh, in 24 milliliter uh, pots and you have a lot of it and they behave pretty well. But they're going to, most of them are about to behave better because Games Workshop is reformulating their paint. They're, they're, the old washes are being put on the shelf. I think the gloss washes are saying goodbye. So unfortunately people who actually liked those will no longer be able to get them. But the new washes are supposed to be um, in general Nolan Oil is the most famous one because that's the black wash. From yeah, games, I heard from Leland games was workshop. talking about that the other day on yeah. Discord. Uh, people talk about Nolan Oil and joining the Nolan Oil Club, which is what you've spilled a pot of it. <laughs> then once you spill a pot of Nolan Oil, you're in the club. Oh, okay. I am in the club. Leland is in the club. Uh, but they're reformulating it to use uh, the contrast medium is in it. So the these new shades which are supposed to come out in the next month or two will stick less to the the flat surfaces and focus more mm -hmm. on settling in the crevices okay so you don't know so normally how when you paint something in the old classic gw style you base coat wash redo the base coat mm -hmm. uh, with if with these new shades 
ideally you wouldn't have to redo the base code. So less you, work. You just, it's less work. However, if you know anything about Games Workshop and their prices, uh, earlier I said 24 milliliters. You're going to need to take out a second mortgage to, uh, <laughs> to get you this paint The set. new shade paints, uh, at least from what I've seen, are going to be in 18 milliliter bottles for the same price. And sure, the paint is better, but man, they're all, it's like... <laughs> This this big of a bottle, I don't I don't know, man. It's they're good. I'm gonna get some of them. Some of them are really good. Like Mortarian Grime is gonna be useful in all sorts of stuff. Listen, That's a new shade. They gotta out. make their money back now because people are doing 3D print. Uh, they just need to sell their no. STLs. Well, I was gonna say they're, they're, people are doing 3D print knockoffs of all the GW yeah. stuff because it GW is, charges too much for their minis. Yeah, they gotta make the money back by scalping you on paint. GW, I love some of the stuff you do, but you guys need help. You need to sell your STLs. Yeah, get you. Please, I'd buy them from you. Uh, so would I. I don't even. I don't even play 40k. I would do it just to have cool stuff on my shelves. Yeah. Like I would totally. But hey, I, you're, I, you're not really a war gamer. You're more of a, a RPG player, uh, which I really would like to play the 40k RPG sometime. That, that might be a fun little session uh, side death, project. Death, or, not death, is it death Watch? Well, there's multiple well, ones. Say, there's Dark Heresy, which is where you're playing Inquisition. Mm -hmm. uh, in the newest one, Wrath and Glory, you can kind of play a mixed bag. You know, like you could have a tactical marine, and that guy could play uh, an Inquisitor, and you guys yeah. could be together doing whatever, palling around. So the only one um, I'd ever looked Death in... Death Watch is all Space Marines. That was the one that I'd looked into, because I liked the idea of it because then everybody at the table could play a space marine from their favorite chapter and yeah. it would still make sense within the lore in wrath and glory uh they've kind of made a lore excuse for why you have might it. have a solo space wolf hanging out mm -hmm. with a blood angel or whatever because it's supposed to be in a like a cutoff sector Okay. But after the fall of Cadia. So this, you guys this, are basically like all screwed together. Yeah, so you're all screwed together. Like most of you guys are the this, last this survivors this of whatever. This sector of eight planets is not getting help, yeah. at least in their vanilla setting. And there's just not enough space wolves around. You're one of very few that yeah. still... So you've gotten clearance to operate on your own or with friends if you need to. I would play that. Yeah. I would play a space viking or maybe a black templar. Probably black templar. Those are my favorites. Yeah, I just actually uh, I, have a, um, I have a black templar on a base that I've been yeah. meaning to paint just for fun of the fun of it mm -hmm. anyway the new contra there's going to be new shades of contrast uh which are exciting because they're like nice vibrant colors and then the shade paints are being reformulated which is it's pretty exciting i'm looking forward to trying them out uh they have a new one which will base it's like a super light gray uh, someone on youtube ninjon predicted that mortarian grime would be the best-selling one but i think the one that's gonna be used to uh shade white armor is is uh, I forget what it's called, but it's like it's very very light gray. You just you could use it to shade stormtroopers, white scars, um, clone troopers, anything. Wh any white armor would be really well easily shaded with this. White scars was the first thing I thought of, but I wasn't thinking outside of 40k either. Yeah, so no. Any any mini with white armor, or white cloaks would mm -hmm. be really easy. It's a it's a kind of a cool gray if I remember remember correctly, and uh, I'm looking forward to buying that one personally. Uh, next in the news, you know there is a D&D &D movie that has been... It's either been shot or being shot. I don't know if it's in post or what. I have heard. It's in the it's taking place in the Forgotten Realms. But I know very is, little about it, but I know that it exists. This is not the only tabletop game currently being adapted to the big screen now. In the last week or so, there's a game called Alice is Missing. 
And this is a game, this is an RPG that you play around the table, and it's called a silent RPG, because unlike most RPGs where we encourage you not to pick up your phone, this RPG, Alice is Missing, is played entirely with your phones. Like, it's it's basically a, a girl at the school has gone missing, and you're all texting each other about the event. Huh. So it's supposed to be like you're you're communicating via text about this missing girl. Okay. It's a silent RPG is what it's called. But, um... I f- oh, what's the name? I don't I can't remember the name of the producer, but she's she got her start. Uh, let me look it up here. But in working with the creator of the game of Alice is Missing, um, which is at, it's from Hunter's Entertainment, and it's being produced by Paramount. It's going to be written by Becca Gleason and Spencer Stark. Spencer Stark is the game's creator. And it's supposed to follow the story of a group of friends navigating events after one of their own disappears. Hmm. And it's going to be coming to the big screen, which I think is kind of interesting. I We've mean, got a D&D movie, and Alice is missing. This is kind of a gateway drug. Before you know it, we'll have a full-on Warhammer movie well, in theaters we've or talked something. Ab- we've talked about this in other episodes, too, about how gaming is becoming progressively more mainstream. Yeah. Like... You know, back back when I started, it was not something that people had even like. I started kind of post the '80s, like Satanic Panic, that that kind of plagued D and D for a while. Yeah, and there just there wasn't a lot of like I didn't really know. I knew D and D existed, but I didn't know what tabletop gaming was until I was introduced to Shadowrun. And now everybody knows what it is. Not everybody plays it, but everybody knows what it is. A lot more people now are playing it than have ever played it before. So, I mean, it just stands to reason that if the movie companies want to make money selling people stuff, then you, you get you make movies about things people are interested in. Oh, yeah. And there is a big enough following for tabletop gaming that if you can take it and turn that into a, a, a decent film or a decent television series... I, I would mean, like to see a Legend of the Five Rings movie or TV series. Like a big... Because Legend of the Five Rings is a very... Uh, Asia-inspired fantasy. It started off as a trading card game, Mm -hmm. but then uh, Fantasy Flight Games makes the RPG for it, and just everything about the setting is is kind of super cool. I guess Avatar is kind of like that, because (laughs) Avatar The Last Airbender is very much Asian-inspired. Oh, yeah. But there's uh, a lot in... Legend of the Five Rings. Matt Colville has a video called The Greatest Story in Gaming in which he tells the story of the first tournament because Legend of the Five Rings was supposed to evolve. It was back with in the early nascent days of the internet. Long story short, the players uh, decided the course of the story and then the company would make uh, cards based on what's happened at the tournament. Okay. So <laughs> like cool. when you signed up for this game, you know like how there's different colors of magic in Legend of the Five Rings, you'd pick a fact one of the clans and you'd get that clan's newsletter sent to your house. And the only way to get the full story of everything that's going on is to go to your local game store and convene with other people Players from other clans from cl- and oh. find out what their newsletter said. And then at a, at every tournament, you know, whoever won, which clan won the tournament dictated That would events. get written into the story yeah. then. So okay. I'd lo- and there's been multiple Multiple uh, clan wars. Uh, originally, it was just supposed to run once, uh, mm-hmm. but then, of course, it made too much money. So, <laughs> but I, I just everything. I've never played the setting, but everything I hear about it is just awesome. And I like old Hong Kong uh, action movies. movies. So to have that be a Western focus and uh, have kind of that theme going on, I'd be all about it. So I'd like to see more like cyberpunk inspired movies. Oh yeah, that. I mean, be... we have a few, but like, if there's, only there's... Cyberpunk 2077 hadn't been such a flop on release. Oh man! Hopefully, the anime is going to be really good because there's a Netflix I've anime heard coming out. That's coming out. I, I think mean, it's a studio trigger like, that's making it. The, the thing with cyberpunk as a setting, or really any of that kind of cyberpunk or cyberpunk adjacent genre stuff, 
is there's like a handful of like extremely good movies, the Blade Runner series, um, like Altered Carbon on Netflix. When they canceled What's the that, I was so Reeves sad. One? Um, yeah, where he's like he like he transports stuff in his head, right? Oh, um, um, Johnny Mnemonic. Johnny Mnemonic. Yeah. Oh that's my the one. god, that is so. This is a classic. But then there's a lot of really crappy ones that nobody <laughs> nobody wants to watch or see. Right. Because I usually like I spend my 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 bored time if I'm looking for something to watch, just crawling through Netflix or Amazon Instant Video, just looking for like sci-fi and cyberpunk yeah. movies, mostly from the 80s and 90s. And I watch a lot of them, and they're some of them are just so terrible that you're like, God, this is such a such a cool You watch setting. it anyway because you want to absorb I, I it. I do, I do. Because right. there's always something good in there to take. It's but usually I mean, bad good. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's that kind of thing. But, you know, I, like, I want more of that. Yeah, I hear you and I empathize. But that about wraps it up for the news. So on to what we've done. So what did we do this last week in Tabletop Games? Uh, I believe we did a little bit of the uh, the Pathfinder. We did. We played some of my Pathfinder long-running story converted from 5e to Pathfinder Pathfinder 2. in favor. Pathfinder 2, specifically. Yep, yep, yep. We don't, I don't think we, neither of us ever played Pathfinder 1. No, I, I mean, I've considered looking into it, but it's got that feet bloat. Uh, it's one of those where the people that know the system and have the splat books can make a broken character. Well, and I mean, let's face it, I, th I think we... Like, the general consensus is that Pathfinder 2 is the superior system anyway. Why would we go back? Yeah. At least in I our mean, opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's uh, there's a lot of people that think that. I mean, the, the I'm system. particularly looking forward to Dark Archive coming out. Actually, while we're on the topic, I watched a video of Dark Archive, known at one on YouTube, where he went through... He basically has access to the book early. Okay. And he was allowed to cover the Thaumaturge's feats and talk about all sorts of things. And I was describing the class to Dan, and... I think that B would have a fun time playing this character. It's supposed to be like a monster hunter kind of type, but the whole class mechanics flavor revolves around the collection of trinkets and baubles and just having the right thing at the right time. And it's a charisma-based class, which some people find contentious, but it's got that force of will belief to it. Like, I believe this will help me stop this vampire, so it will. Right. But it has a... Just by being a Thaumaturge, you get what's called esoter Esoteric Lore, which is a specific lore skill that you can only use for, like, haunts, curses, and creatures. And then... So anytime that you need to know about haunts, curses, or creatures, you have a specific knowledge skill for it. And then your primary class mechanic revolves around finding weaknesses, or not just finding weakness. If a monster does not have a capital W weakness, mm -hmm. you create a weakness that you trigger when you hit it. Okay. Yeah. So it's a it's because its class attribute is charisma, it can't be at a max stat with strength at the beginning, but mm. it's it's honestly such a cool it's got such a cool kit. It has so many uh, skills. It has like not quite as many skills as a rogue, but I think it comes close. It's a really cool character and a cool package. Has a lot of neat feats. You pick out of nine implements, you get to pick what three you want. Like, you pick Chalice if you want to be a healer. You pick the weapon if you want to be more offensive. Things like that. They're essentially kind of personal artifacts. I made a joke to Dan earlier that if you play Chalice and be a healer, that means your character chose wisely. Stop it. <laughs> just, just stop it. <laughs> I'm glad you got the yeah, reference, no. though. <laughs> but uh. anyways, digressing, I think that it would be super fun to have someone play... Uh, an investigator, a thaumaturge, a magus, 
and then maybe like a rogue all in a campaign together where you're trying to hunt down monsters, based ab ab abomination slayers. Kind Bog's of. coming back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, could, I could get behind a Magus. I've looked at the class a little bit. That seems at least reasonably interesting. Oh, yeah. The Thaumaturge sounds very interesting. I don't think it's the kind of class I would be into, but it sounds Oh, I guess instead of a rogue, you could have a psychic, too. That's also going to be on the it? Dark Archive. Okay. Uh, so that, has, that looks... There, there hasn't been as many um, early teasers of the psychic, mm -hmm. but I'm still excited for it. Uh, anyway, relevant to Pathfinder, that's what we played uh, most recently. And what happened in Pathfinder? Speaking of like psychics and weird aberrations and things, someone set us up the bomb. <laughs> oh yeah, that's how this. That's how it started. Yeah. I was thinking of how the session finished, but yeah, the, someone set us up the bomb. Yeah. That. So uh, Victor, the big bad evil guy in our uh, in our campaign, is a member of this organization called the Blackstaff Eight, which is like eight wizards each of a different school of magic which is completely i want to say completely unoriginal in the forgotten realms because in the forgotten realms like every nation has one of these it feels like like they all the red council members of they are dedicated to a school a school of magic basically when they came up with the schools of magic every setting has at least like 20 of these groups of wizards fair enough but, but still but it, it's it, it's so cool you can't not in in cody's setting this black staff eight basically their goal is to Maintain a balance in the prime material plane. Yeah, they are defenders the, of the prime. To protect the prime. And we made a case, because uh, our wizard, Dirage, actually was inducted as a member of this, which made it so that he couldn't take direct action against the big bad evil guy, because both of them are members, and that's one of the, like, the rules, is they can't, you know, fight each other. Um, and we made a case to get Victor kicked out of there once upon a time. That didn't go particularly well. Or the Dirage made the case. Um, and for one reason or another, they decided now that they were going to have a, another trial for him to determine whether or not he, uh, he was going to get to stick around the party. And we, uh, so we get transported to this citadel somewhere that these guys hang out, um, and get told basically that we are going to act as witnesses, um, in this trial. And then when we think Victor's about to teleport in, instead this giant, uh, basically guitar case type thing. <laughs> a, a long, a long Lo like slender six, six leather long, case. Yeah. Pops in and inside of it is, uh, well, what I took to be Victor's letter of resignation. The, the staff that was a, uh, uh, it was assigned to him. A symbol of his office. Yeah. Uh, was in there strapped to some clockwork gadget, uh, that was, Basically, it was bomb. Okay, he sent us a, a, a black staff bomb. There were seven colors of the rainbow and holographic magical wires yep. strung along this gadget of a staff. So step one, and it would had a mysterious, catchy ticking noise, which is kind of a throwback to an old YouTube video. I had a bunch of wizards and a mysterious ticking noise, which is uh, <laughs> I don't know if anyone caught that in the middle of the, the game session. I didn't, but uh, <laughs> but so step one of this particular session was that we had to disarm the bomb. Yep. Um, which we did, fortunately. Um, did you think that scene was neat? I did think it was neat. I thought I thought it was interesting. Um, it's kind of like a mini game that I had set up mm -hmm. that both was a challenge to overcome that you were likely to overcome, but also revealed things about the big bad evil guy's past. I, I was mostly mad about it because that stupid little gnome just was not buying. My, I, like, I was like, okay, so do we even need to bother with the trial now? This dude literally just sent us a bomb. 
And one of the other members of the council's like, we don't know it was Victor. And I'm like, okay. It's not that he doesn't believe you. It's that he believes in in not using circumstantial evidence. That's all. Uh, he wants yeah. cold, hard truth. Yeah, well, I don't like it. So, <laughs> so we, It's just part of his annoying personality that so, I made up. So we uh, disarm the bomb and then proceed to the trial um, after that. And the trial it, it inevitably leads to to Victor being kicked out. He didn't bother showing up for his own defense. The only thing he sent was his bomb. Um, <clears throat> so we ended up getting him out of uh, the Black Staff Eight, which is good because now what that really means is that we have, uh, I mean, in addition to our own wizards, six powerful wizards that could potentially be allies. Uh, for us against Victor because as far as they're concerned he's screwing with the prime material plane which is kind of their job to defend so we have uh, we have powerful friends now or more powerful friends, more we've, been powerful friends. we've been accumulating a lot of powerful friends that's, that's throughout this campaign but yeah. we have more powerful friends and Dirage is no longer prohibited from uh, screwing with Victor so good news there so we go back to the uh, the Nalanther Isles where our piratey camp or our piratey stuff is going on and uh there was, uh, and we learned this a long time ago, like well before Aram got captured, that there is... Uh, yeah, like three or four years ago in real time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and, and in game time. Well, yeah. two years ago in game time. Uh, there's this there's this big mountain or volcano there with this big glowing corona around it that has some association with both my warlock's eldritch powers and uh, our paladin's vision of a giant red comet crashing into, uh, crashing into it. So we're trying to go there because I think that's where my superpowers are. <laughs> that's been that's been the running gag. Me and Dan have been talking about how we need to get to the top of the mountain because that's where we get our superpowers. Which is funny because like Dan's already has an artifact sword. You I know, know. it's an actual artifact that gave him wings. Well, but I mean <laughs> that's the thing. We've all gotten our piece. You know, yeah. uh, B has her bow. Yeah, and I have my weird third eye, and and all of those things are upgradable basically yeah so very, my, it's my, very much legacy weapons ancestry yeah, weapons or my, my, weapons my, of divergence my assumption is whatever's waiting for me at the top where this corona is is probably going to give my creepy third eye and more power possibly dan sword don't know but we know that that's what we need to do because we've kind of got this roundabout trip that we've got to go through we're trying to gather uh troops to help the pirate queen against uh hung solo the evil pirate captain of the the black dragon uh uh not army navy there we go yeah the black, uh, yeah the ad the well they the i think i ended up, ended up calling them the ravagers or something yeah. like that something the barb something really savage but the we, raiders corsairs we ended up going uh going that direction because we have to circle back around and we fought a giant enemy and, crab and when we got there they, the the pirates that we were with warned us of the guardian of the island and we got there and we fought a giant crab that we're pretty sure was infested with some creepy tentacle parasite maybe it was a giant crab, and there was a weird squid thing also inhabiting yeah. its shell. So we killed it. Yeah. And that was kind of the end of the session. And uh, I I liked the enemy crab fight. I felt bad for some of the dice rolls that were coming from the spellcasters. <laughs> or I should say the saves that the crab made. Both two people let, let fly those really Epic powerful spells. spells. Mm -hmm. And Pathfinder is a system where... Even when the enemy succeeds on a roll, you usually still get some effect. Yeah. Uh, there's there's levels of success if if you get on the top three, and only does a critical failure on your spell attack or a critical success on the enemy's save prevent anything from happening, right? Yep. So 
uh, well, I, I should say not spell attack, but uh, offensive rolls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like there's usually four levels and degrees of success and failure. And often on failure, something still happens. It's not completely save or suck, like in Hold Person in 5e, where if they normally do a normal failure, like they just miss the DC by one, you've blown a spell slot and they're not paralyzed. Yeah. Uh, in this, you have to critically succeed for that to be the case. But on both of those times, it was an actual nat 20 behind the screen. And I remember what I said. I'm not, punch I'm nope. not pulling punches. The dice are the dice in well, Pathfinder. Well, and this is something I've noticed, and maybe I just have the wrong spells in my repertoire, but... Like, as a, well, witch technically, because, you know, warlock's not a thing, um, I have very few, if any, spells that target reflex saves. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's, and that's actually, what his weakness was. I was like, crap. That's actually also part of the kit. Mm -hmm. The flavor of occult, the occult spell list is it's to affect the mind will. and spirit it's, yeah, more. It's, it's mostly will. Yeah, so it's I have it's a, a I have a few fortitude stuff. saves, which I'm not using against a giant armored crab. Yeah. Because so that's not going to It's, end it's well. just kind of an enemy that you're not fit to <laughs> I win was against. Really not. I was like, I don't yeah. know what I'm going to do about this stupid crab, but we killed it. And that's yeah, it was a fun. I thought we had a fun I did like, so it was, was that a homebrew mechanic of yours? The fact that it couldn't walk backwards and yeah, had to spend a, an action that turning? that was a homebrew mechanic. I like that. I may steal, I, I may steal that for some of the monsters in our, uh, our game. I have been... I think for fights, Pathfinder does an excellent job of making the monsters have cool gimmicks. Mm -hmm. But I thought uh, that just with my enemy like the ability to do a, a claw attack and grab a person and then having the eye lasers those two things and then also being vulnerable to prone i just felt like it was lacking a little bit of something so mm -hmm. i just like yeah well let's make it hard to it can't i actually googled can crabs see in a 360 degree uh -huh. environment and then i remembered oh it's got a squid parasite it doesn't matter i'm yeah. not basing it on a crab mm -hmm. i'm basing it on a squid parasite um an alien squid parasite at that so i just thought it'd be cool and tactical to add that in i, I liked it i thought it was a neat feature i didn't know if it was yours or yeah. if it was the games been, but I've i thought been that was a, a cool look at every character or uh, every combat that i set up as long as it's even relatively important, I look at all the monster abilities mm. and see if they need anything extra. Yeah. I'm very reticent to do it unless I feel like I have to. And I think it did add to that experience. Anyway, uh, that is what we did this last week. The bartender's name this week is Simone, and Simone is serving us the Game Master Speakeasy <laughs> 22, right? Yep. I, uh, this is, this your, is your the first house ale, the first batch of beer I've, I've, it's an ale, right? It is an ale. Okay. Yeah, it's a golden ale. Um, first batch of beer that I've made this year. Um, you'll have to let me know what you think. I am more critical of my own work probably than anybody else is. It's pleasant. Uh, when you've got a, like a plain gold, golden ale yeah. like this, that it's a lot of them. The flavor is pretty similar to one another. Yeah, you know, you're you're looking for a window of flavor, and mm -hmm. it's got a, the square has to fit in the square. This, this falls into the Overton window, right? <laughs> and I do enjoy the lingering aftertaste, yeah. which is not true of all beers. Hmm. Sometimes you, you would, sometimes you have an aftertaste, and you wish it would go away. And I am pleasant that he had that he's giving me the long goodbye. <laughs> well, the, you know, the Midwestern farewell. I'm going to take that as a, uh, a compliment because my first thought when I drank it was, I wonder if I brewed it at too high a temperature because of that weird aftertaste. Uh, is that what causes that? The high I temperature? I think so. Well, because okay. the, the thing is, is like, I, I like it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, no, I'm, I'm, that's I good. I it to be pleasant. Good. Because um, well, the thing is, depending on how, like what temperature 
um, you have your yeast will determine the speed at which it, it ferments. Interesting. So, um, because I do my brewing in my garage and it is typically hotter in my garage than like, because ideal temperature for yeast is usually like 70 some degrees. Okay. And my garage is usually a little, little warmer than that. Uh, the, That's the, interesting because when you bake uh, bread, you usually want to use for, for like a yeasted white loaf, mm -hmm. plain, plain yeasted white loaf, you usually want to use water that's between 90 and 100 degrees yeah. or something like mm -hmm. that. And I don't know if it's just because bread yeast is different than beer yeast well, or what. Well, I mean, either that or you want it to replicate faster for oh, the yeast okay. process. Because gotcha. with beer, like, I'm going to brew this for two weeks regardless of how quickly the yeast and I'm does plan its I'm job. And i to bake that in two hours. Yeah, so it's <laughs> a, that probably has maybe. something to do with it. But my first thought is, it doesn't taste bad. I don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't hate it. I think it, if but... this beer were to go skunky, the aftertaste would be the first thing to become revolting. <laughs> probably, yeah. <laughs> like, it would, it would transform... <laughs> Something happened to that neighbor that I no longer find him pleasant. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm glad that you're but enjoying it. I'm enjoying and it. Fresh, I enjoy it. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, these are pretty much right out of the rack. I took them. Is it just called the Game Master Speakeasy, or has it got a different name? I mean, that's kind of the joke name that we okay. gave it last time, and I'm just going to. I'm going to run with it. Give, give it. Okay, so it is the Game Master Speakeasy 2022. But if you were going to give it a colon subtitle, what would it be? The Midwest Goodbye. <laughs> there you go. The Midwest <laughs> Goodbye. All right, I like it. <laughs> okay, that's enough for what we're drinking. Like I said before, if you're of age, get one yourself, as we saddle up and sit down by the ever-burning hearth to discuss today's main topic. We are going to talk about the balancing act. Uh, this, is all, this is all very Game Master facing. I, if you're a player, keep listening because I want you to know that this is these are the hoops your game master, excuse me, uh, is it's jumping. All, it through. always happens every time. <laughs> well, well that's just such a good beer. Uh, the, well, the balancing act of rules versus rule of cool, and you'll recall when we have talked about the things that I consider to be mistakes, are on my part. My greatest mistakes basically come down to being. Uh, too strict with the rules and not enough rule of cool. Like mm -hmm. the, the Black Dragon writing incident with uh, Dan, um, one of your social roles with the dragon, dragon yeah. um, a couple other things. It's always it's always been me applying the rules too harshly and not enough rule of cool. However, I believe that this is a needle where you want it to be in the middle and not too far to either mm -hmm. side. Or you want it to be a moderate, if you will. <laughs> uh, and you... And, I want to ask you specifically if you can think of any times where the where you, your needle has swung too far in one direction. Have there been any times where you went too far with the rule of cool? And then my my follow up question is, which of if you had to pick a side and play devil's advocate, which is more important, rules or being more freeform and throwing rules to the wind? Okay, um, the answer to my first, the first part of that question is going to inform the answer to the second sure, one. Sure, yeah, let's hear it. I don't think I have ever done rule of cool and had it be a net negative result. Okay. I think that, that in most cases, because at the end of the day, we're all here to have fun, usually giving a player or players that rule of cool moment is almost always going to to pay those dividends. I think my, 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 if, if, if I had to lean one way or the other on the mistakes I've made, I would say that sticking too closely to the rules has, has yielded 
worse times ever than, than going with the rule of cool. So to answer the second question, if I had to choose a way to tip the needle and um, to come to the sort of plug for the thing that I'm not done with yet, that's a big part of what has informed this um, conversion of Savage Worlds that I'm doing for this, this sci-fi cyberpunk kind of conversion is I want it to be the over-the-top anime-style rule of cool gameplay. You want rule of cool baked into the rules. Yeah, I'm like I'm doing a lot of changes to edges and a lot of the mechanic stuff that I'm, I'm tweaking for that system is designed for exactly that. Okay. I would say that I agree with the statement that uh, the mistakes have mostly been not letting rule of cool flow freely enough. But I also think that the rules are very important. Uh, obviously, rules are important in a game. Having rules is what makes it a game. Otherwise, you're just sitting around improving, right? Yeah. Uh, and I've always been a more cautious, reserved person. And I think that's kind of what leans into that. In most things, I would consider myself risk-averse. Not ne Maybe not necessarily some of my... Uh, you know, market investments to be, <laughs> but also I'm young, so it's less risky, right? Yeah, so it's still semi-risk-averse. You're, you're a ways off from yeah, retirement. If I were 60 and investing in, you know, really prospective <laughs> technology stocks, then maybe I'm really gambling. But uh, obviously my mistakes have been that I applied the rules too harshly, but if I was going to pick a side, I would say that rules are more important for the whole package uh, than rule of cool, honestly, because the it's kind of that thought process where uh, restriction breeds creativity. You ever hear mm -hmm. that statement yeah. before? And rules are exactly that. They're restrictions. Oh, yeah. Well, and I'm not suggesting that you throw the rules out No, entirely, no, of course not. But my, my leaning but is... But if you had to pick a side in the argument, you're yeah, siding with rule like of cool. Like, if, if I have to say, okay, we can't be in the middle, I have to be at either 25% one way, or 70, 75% one way or the other, yeah. I'm going to pick rule of cool. Okay. I would. I mean, I, I, almost every time that I've had a game that I've done a considerable amount of uh, homebrew yeah. rules, it has almost always been to lean toward the rule of cool. I've loosened up the rule restrictions um, in order to to make things a little more over the top and a little more crazy and a little more action oriented. I think that is a completely fair statement. I would say a lot of the homebrew rules that I first started applying in 5e were because the rules didn't exist. That's a lot of where my homebrew came from, right? It was just, <laughs> I was I was adding more rules. You're putting rules in because they weren't there in the first place. Right, rather than just throw caution to the wind. Um, that That's, I think, why I like Pathfinder, because unlike 5e, there are rules for most things. Yeah. Where in 5e, if you wanted a more fleshed out um, herbalism, like the, let's let's be honest, the crafting system in 5e is an afterthought. I, yeah, I know it's... we've talked about it before. Uh, that's one thing I hope that the revision in 2023 or four, <laughs> Get you 2024, a little bit of crafting with. system. Yeah, I mean, you, to make anything in 5e, you kind of got to wing it. You, yeah, there's a lot of mm -hmm. winging it or third-party content involved. Mm -hmm. That's why I think a lot of the homebrew stuff I included was adding more rules. D like I said. Um, the rule of cool is important, but where ha what's the time in your let's let's take Deadlands first. Let's so restrict your memories to Deadlands. What is a uh, digressing back to the previous episode where you have uh, memorable role playing moments? Usually, these role playing moments are when the rule of cool also somehow comes into yeah. play, right? So, what is a rule of cool moment from Deadlands that you can recall off the top of your head? Oh boy, um, 
Well, I mean, I, I don't know if this is necessarily applicable, but they, the game pretty much explicitly states that there are certain important NPCs that you're not allowed to kill. Oh, that's, and, that's true. And uh, Dan's character, Scorp, being from the future and knowing the cause of the great calamity of the world that he existed in, I let him plan an entire assassination for basically the guy that was going to cause the end of the world. Oh, that's pretty cool. Um, and, and, and I mean, the entire campaign virtually was centered around that, that concept. That sounds like a really fun campaign. Allowing him to, well, I guess I would say more the, the latter part of the campaign when he came to the realization that, yes, I can stop this from happening. Imagine, imagine running that kind of same, like a Terminator scenario in a fantasy setting <laughs> where, where like you, you've come from future, uh, forgotten realms to try to stop the spell plague like, or something like that. Like the or, Victor apocalypse happens yeah. and, and we've got to go back and prevent somebody, it. <laughs> some, the part, some party uses a, a very, very, very powerful spell, maybe with the assistance of the gods to, to rewind time and put them back beforehand to, to you know actually kill Victor. I would uh, I would say that I think that if I had to dip the needle, I would dip it more towards the rules. Okay. I think that most of my mistakes have come from dipping it too far towards the rules and not enough towards the center. But if I had to choose one over the other, you think back to the last four or so years of my fantasy games. And how, you know, I tend to run more rules than rule of cool. Mm -hmm. If I was, I kind of want to change that up going forward. I want to step out of my comfort zone, but my games still have been memorable. Have they not? Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. They, even without uh, heavy usage of rule of cool, I would no, say I, that I things mean, have been enjoyable. I've People said, keep coming back. I've said this before. You are a better game master in the what? Seven years you've been doing it than I think I have ever been in the. 20 years I've been doing it and if I could change one anything I would because it's really just a player preference really mm -hmm. right because I feel like there are a number of people in our group that really savor those rule of cool moments well, and, I, and I, so it's just because my players want them that I want to include them yeah, more. well and I, I think too a lot of that depends on the setting that you're playing that is, that's a good point. Actually. I mean, I, I certain think that, settings are going to be more privy to that. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think, for example, like a more narrative driven setting, like Call of Cthulhu. Well, you don't want when well, I are think we talking, are we talking setting or system or both? Both all all the all above. The above? Yeah. Okay. I mean, because like for example, when I when I think um, Call of Cthulhu. I don't know that there's going to be a lot of those super cool epic moments, but I do think that the narrative structure of the game lends itself well to that kind of improvisation. And I also think if you're playing a really, um, really heavy action game, you know what I mean? Like, like if you want to go for like the eighties action movie vibe, or if you want to go for the kind of fight scenes that, you know, that, that, that happened in the matrix trilogy and stuff like that. Most systems aren't built, to do a lot of that outside the box stuff. So what you're saying is that pick the right system. Yeah, important. I mean, it, it depends on the system and it depends on the setting and it depends on the characters that you've got in the group, whether or not, like, how much of that is going to be important. Taking and bouncing off of that, I would posit that uh, if you want to flex the rule of cool more, then using a more rules-light system yeah. is probably the way to go. And that's... Mm -hmm. 
I love 5e, but here we are always kind of crapping on it, aren't we? <laughs> um, the, the thing with 5e is that it's it wants to be both. You know, it wants to appeal yeah, to it's, everybody. It's too busy and, straddling the line to pick a to pick a good yeah, good thing it, to do. It's it wants to be rule of cool, but then it has a lot of rules in it. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And even though advantage makes it easy, there are many things like, oh, does this have? You can, as a GM. We have said this before, and I'll say it again. You always have the freedom to throw out a rule that you do not want. Yeah, oh, for sure. If, if you do not like a rule, throw it out and tell your players, hey, this rule's not coming mm, into play. I mean, I've I've done some adaptations with Deadlands because I think the system is almost too crunchy when it comes to combat. Oh, yeah. Br it slows up, things down quite like, a bit. Double action, two-fisted mm. kid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a little Billy Badass over Bill, here. Yeah, taking... how, many, how many shots was that per action? Oh. Uh, like, was that four shots four per sh action? Four shots, oh, which requires... It's basically his combat turn was 30 minutes. Yeah, like, everybody took a smoke break when this guy's turn came up. He'd, he'd pull up, because it was like, oh, it was three rolls, right? Like, he'd roll to see if he hit. Yep. Then he'd roll hit location. Yep. And then then he'd roll he would damage. roll damage. Then the enemy would have to roll um, bleeding and squealing. Bleeding and squealing. And wind loss. One, two, three, four. That's five rolls per shot. Yeah. And there's four. So you're making 20 rolls to resolve a single action. Yeah, and it's, he might it's one have, card. If he's a fast character, he mm -hmm. might have three or four actions. And if you're a gunslinger, you're probably a fast character. So in, so. One, in one round, your two, your turn could cons your turn yeah, might take it, sixty actions. It was really, or sixty rolls, I should say, really for, time consuming. Yeah, and that's part of the reason that I'm so. Uh, I know, yeah, I know you haven't had good experiences with the system, but that's part of the reason I'm leaning really heavy into the new edition of Savage Worlds for this this homebrew thing that I'm putting together. Oh yeah, because it is a rules light system. It is a very fast. It's designed to be very quick, and it's designed to be very, um, I guess, narrative combat. Where instead of the the rules telling you specifically what you did, you let the narrative do that. You're like, I'm going to shoot him, but everything else is kind of handled in the descriptive. I will confess that I think that the most, because, you know, I've only had limited access to playing casters mm -hmm. because I have spent a lot of time game mastering. But I think the most fun I've ever had casting was when we did the Savage World Shadowrun. Shadowrun conversion? Yeah, the Shadowrun conversion for Sha Savage Worlds because it didn't feel restrictive. Mm -hmm. If I had to pick one pitfall of Pathfinder 2E, it's the Vancian magic system where you have to. Uh, you know, load your spell slots with your prepared spells. Yeah. Uh, it's just, that's something I think 5e does better than uh, Pathfinder 2, personally. I mean, from, from what I have test-driven and, and tried in Pathfinder, I tend to favor the martial classes over the caster classes. Mm -hmm. There's just something, and maybe it's the comparison to the 5e casters that I'm doing, but there's something about the way that casters run in Pathfinder that I don't tend to like as much like when it comes to 5e i tend to favor the casters yeah like i would probably push comes to shove rather play a caster in fifth edition than a martial class see what's funny is that i like the way you learn and prepare spells in 5e but i think the spells themselves are not great that's Whereas fair. in Pathfinder 2, I think the spells themselves are better because of the way the degrees of success I, I actually, work. Well, I, what I, I like the degrees of success, and actually the other thing I like is that most spells have a, a change in the way that they operate based on the number of actions you are willing to do. Oh, yeah, the, that, the Like your heal action, spells. Yeah. You're like, oh, I'm going to spend one action on this. Well, that's just a touch-based yeah, heal some spell. Some of them have things like that, which yeah. is pretty fun, especially with Secrets of Magic when you've got the, the two-round Kamehameha mm -hmm. with yeah. the Rise and Thunder Sphere. So, I mean, I do, I do like, I, like... I think some of the concepts are there in Pathfinder for the magic system, but the execution has always seemed humdrum. I, love, I mean, I love Aram Ar Ar as a character, but I liked him better in 5th edition. Right. 
Okay. Good to know. Uh, so, what the heck were we talking about? Oh, the Great Balancing Act. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, in your decades of experience, um, what difficulties have you come up against in running this Balancing Act? Have you ever had personal problems where players uh, were visibly distraught, not because of the dice, but because of a uh, decision you m made uh, in this exact spectrum? Like, you um, applied a rule, and they think it's a really dumb rule, and... I mean, I don't think you can Game Master for terribly long time without some player somewhere questioning a ruling that you've made. So, That's I mean, cool. I would say that, yeah, it's probably happened to me, and it's happened to me multiple times. I can't think of any really noteworthy time where it became, like, a huge issue. Right. But, I mean, I think it depends, too, because if you have players that are somewhat ignorant of the rules, those are the ones that are more open to the rule of cool. Like, the people that know the, like, that don't know the rule system inside and out, yeah. they're usually a lot warmer to you improvising something cool like that. And then on the flip side of that, you get the rules lawyers. Um, both the bad and the good rules lawyers, because I do think that there are two kinds of rule lawyers out there. Yeah, there's the there's there's the ones that are good and they help you because you're not going to remember he's everything. And then there's to, the he's ones a that notary. are notary. He's there to yeah. He's there to put his name on the paper. He's there to review your contract. He's mm -hmm. there to help you out. And then there's the rule lawyers that are just looking for a way to one up the GM. The defense by, attorney assigned yeah, to the, exactly. the guy who obviously did it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, but I mean, I think both in both of those cases, you find people that are a little less flexible. All the defense attorneys. Like, are, uh, if they've taken the time to measure and to memorize all of these rules, they're a lot less likely to be warm and fuzzy to you screwing with the rules. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I'll be, as a player, sometimes I'm a, I'm a little bit guilty of that, where I'm like, yeah, but I mean, that, that be, because somewhere in, in, the, in the way that my mind works, my thought as a player is, if I know what the rules are, then I'm playing within the confines of those rules. Right. And then when things start to change... Well, it's, 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 it's like like if you just redefined how gravity worked, how bad would that screw up reality? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so for me in the, in, in the game, that is my reality. I have learned the rules. I understand that this makes that happen, and this makes that happen, and this rule is necessary to do that. And then all of a sudden, the rules have changed. Now, I, I think the good news is I've benefited from enough GMing to just let that happen. Mm-hmm. But there is definitely a little voice in the back of my head that's like, oh, he's screwing this up. He's changing the rules on you all of a sudden. He's, he's making things different. Now we don't know how the world works anymore. Now we're freaking out. That's fair. Yeah, because once you make a ruling, you, if you keep making different rulings, then your players have no idea what to expect. Yeah. And it can kind of be frustrating to know mm -hmm. what to look to, well, forward I mean, to. Especially if you're playing in combat and your character is getting hurt or dying because of, of some rule that just cropped up out of nowhere that that you know as a player if you're that prepared player that knows the rules you're like wait a minute you, you just changed everything and now my character's bleeding out it doesn't of the feel fair right? yeah it, it, it's <laughs> that situation it's basically the adult version of no you can't do that i have a force field yeah it's the ever i have your force i have a force field nullifier so i hit you anyway it's, it's hard it's hard to figure out how to do stuff in an ever-shifting reality yeah so i my advice to someone who is new is to look for rulings, not rules. I think that's where the middle of the mm -hmm. spectrum is. You know, on the far left side, you've got hard rules lawyers who are never deviating. Uh, you're stopping the game to look up everything, which, mm -hmm. which you know, if you've got a laptop in front of you, is a lot easier and yeah. quicker to do. And, and sometimes it's necessary. I mean, back to the whole, is this going to drop a player? 
you know, yeah. you know, drop a character. You know what I mean? Like, is is, is the difference between is me it gonna looking drop this a character and this is a meat grinder campaign versus is is it going to drop a character and all the characters are important to the yeah. story? Then you got to ask yourself, okay, is it, is it worth taking two minutes, three minutes to look this rule up, or should we just keep going? And you know, if it's if it's the kind of thing, that's especially it's going to get a, a character killed. To take a quick example, in the last session, uh, a character asked if he could use prestidigitation to recolor his uh, glasses or mm-hmm. goggles or whatever so that they had a little bit of a tint so that he could, you know, just kind of flavor-wise look more towards the mountain. Yeah. And it wouldn't necessarily have anything to do with mechanics because, you know, if you look still, even if you're wearing uh, the right kind of gear, if you look at something too bright. You know, yeah, it's not good for you. I mean, it's, you shouldn't be looking directly t- at the sun, no matter how cool your sunglasses. Are. <laughs> yeah, he, he wants to tint his glasses. He's not wearing like a face shield eclipse mm-hmm. glass glasses, yeah. right? Uh, so, and he wanted to use. Uh oh, oh man, alarms going off. Phone was on during the recording. Anyway, um, my phone is on silent. I didn't know it would do that. No, you had an alarm. Why do you? Why do you have an alarm? Um, are, are we in the middle of something important? No, no. <laughs> yeah, we're recording a podcast. That's we're in the middle right. of that. That's important. Anyway, he said if uh, he said he wanted to use prestidigitation uh, in order to reflavor the uh, his glasses to have um, a tint to them, right? And then if you look at the actual description of the spell for Pathfinder Second Edition, a uh, press casting a prestidigitation can affect one target. It's a sustained spell, which means you have to keep concentrating on it. And it, you can, like, cook one thing. You can slowly lift one object. You can make a temporary object uh, made of a concealed magical substance. Or you can tidy something up. Color, clean, or soil uh, of an object of light bulk or less. Which, um, it's kind of in there, but kind of not. I think the fact that he said, can I use prestidigitation, locked me into the ruling. Mm-hmm. He said... Can I use prestidigitation to do this? And my brain was like, well, what does prestidigitation mm-hmm. say it can do? Uh, and my brain kind of uh, shut it down. I think if in in the moment, if he had just said, can I use magic? And this is this is a fault on me. I could have had this thought mm. uh, in the moment. Instead, I didn't think of it till I was in the shower later. Like, oh. You know when you think of something really clever to say, like a funny comeback? It was that, except <laughs> I thoughts. thought of a better ruling after mm. the fact. Uh, going back, um, I, I could have said, oh, um, make a arcana check and expend a first level spell slot yeah. or something. And then if he succeeds, then I could have, then I would think I would have felt more comfortable allowing it. And then now this could be considered a trick that his character knows. Mm-hmm. And now he never has to roll for it again. And it would have been a cool rule of cool in the moment and i think that's actually how in in pathfinder anytime um a magic caster wants to do something purely for flavor i think i'm just going to chalk it up to a rule relevant to their skill well see and i think that i think that's a good answer and the reason that i say that is because if you're talking about something that doesn't actually have a mechanical impact on the game why not yeah i mean for the most part like, at the end of the day, him being able to tint his glasses... It, I mean, I don't know if you were going to make us roll a constitution check if we decided to stare up at the uh, the corona. Right. And if you made it clear to him, yes, you can tint your glasses, but if you stare out up, up at it, you'll take the same penalty as anybody else does. A big part of it, I think, too, is prestidigitation is sustained, which means you have to concentrate. Yeah. You keep spending an action. And on top of that, there is a spell that does that. It's a first-level spell called Restyle. 
like that could have been a moment where I set an Arcana check at a hard DC or just a normal DC because he's a you know super strong wizard. I mean, you guys are level sixteen, right? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, it's so pretty close to God's. I could have here. had that been a check, and then he just spontaneously learns the level one spell restyle, mm -hmm. which is a spell that does exactly what he wanted to. Yeah. Is it, it existed in the system? If you you know, who cares if a level sixteen wizard spontaneously learns. Mm -hmm. A level one spell like he figures it out on his own well, you know, that's and like i said I mean, it makes you, sense and, and like i said if you if you don't want to go far enough as to giving your 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 players free spells again if it's not going to have a large scale mechanical impact on the game maybe he's just figured out how to flavor sunglasses yeah, specifically i mean <laughs> again it's it's not gonna it's not gonna hurt your game it's not gonna change the balance of the game in any significant way that's a good thing and it's to, gonna make the yeah. player feel cooler yeah you know, just let them have the win. <laughs> let them have the win and try to keep that needle in the center and ask yourself as the game master, like you said, if it's going to hurt the balance, then maybe temper it with a yes, but. Yeah. Or, you know, or, but or I mean, if it's going it, to hurt the balance severely, tell them no. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you don't get to blow up. why. You don't get to, yeah, you don't get to blow Justify up a mountain it. with a level one fireball spell right. no matter there how are certain things how cool you want to flavor it at the end of the day that's just not a thing that's going to happen so if it's a reasonable request and it's not going to have a huge negative impact on the mechanics of the game consider it yeah and, and it's pretty funny to talk about the rule of cool and then have a subject about sunglasses <laughs> <laughs> it's very fitting <laughs> very fitting indeed so yeah uh just know if you're a player that the balancing act that your game master is doing is not an easy one. And game masters know that you are not alone in this struggle. And I, me and Lance are pretty moderate. We agree that the towards the center of the scale is where you should try and be. Rules help breed creativity, but rule of cool rewards and creates memorable moments. Facts. That's all I have to say on the subject. Yep. For, well, for now. <laughs> this time we're really we're just running out of time is all yeah pretty much mostly <laughs> uh thank you for joining us here uh, please make sure you tip the bartender simone on your way out hope you've enjoyed your time next to the ever burning hearth uh if you want to reach us we know that you were just sitting right here next to us but if you want to reach us with an email you can send it to gm speakeasy official at gmail.com where you just so we have a record of it that way i can remember it because if, if you tell me right now i'm gonna forget <laughs> yep, so let us have we've been drinking. your question. Yeah, that's true. Every episode. Uh, let us know your uh, question, comments, concerns. If you have a topic idea, we'd love to hear it and talk about it. Thank you for joining us. Make sure you get home safe. See ya. Want to hear more from the record button? You can find us wherever you find podcasts, like Transistor, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. To stay up to date on our releases, find us on Facebook at the Record Button Production Group and on Twitter at TRBPRODGRP. Or stop by our website at recordbuttongroup.com, where we have links to our merch and other shows such as Wasteland Active Radio and Why Did I Write This? Thank you for listening.